comedy skits, interviews, radio plays, and more. Mom, what does he mean by more? Phase 4 Radio. Hello, and welcome to the Phase 4 Radio Podcast. And welcome to another exciting episode of Worldwide Rewind. Joining me again are my good friends Tom and Catman Pete. On this week's episode, we get dark and lonely with Sam Raimi's 1990 comic-inspired action flick, Dark Man. So without further ado, Dark Man. So, Dark Man uh, came out in 1990. It's a film by Sam Raimi, who uh, did Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, uh, Spider-Man. Did he do the entire trilogy? Uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, the entire uh, quote unquote original two thousands uh, Spider Man trilogy. Yes, right, and that's kind of all I really know about Sam Raimi. Oh yeah, and Army of Darkness. I know he's done other mm-hmm. films, but I I'm not like he's he's primarily known for doing uh, Evil Dead and Spider Man. And actually, when I was watching this film, I saw some parts of it as sort of an evolutionary step in between those two. But I'll get into that later. Right. Okay. So this movie, he actually wanted, he was trying to get the rights to do a Batman film. Uh, Batman was yeah, either Batman or, or, or the shadow, but, um, Batman had just, had just come out in 1989, you know, a year before this. Right. Which brings me to another point. This movie was scored by Danny Elfman and the yep. movie like kinda, it makes it feel like Batman <laughs> because of that in a weird way. But it's kind of like the poor man's Batman. Yeah, what I would kind of kind of describe it as, it's funny because we touched on one of them in the last podcast, is the, uh, this movie to me is sort of a combination of Tim Burton's Batman, RoboCop, and The Fly. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> because I think it has sort of like the um, urban crime sort of aesthetic as, you know, Tim, Tim Burton's Batman. You know, not quite as, as uh, you know, gothic, obviously, but uh, some stuff still there. Robocop because our protagonist is sort of, you know, destroyed and resurrected and his face is covered for the most part throughout the, you know, mo- the most of the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. And then the fly, because he, it's also a scientist protagonist, you know, kind of on the verge of a breakthrough that has, uh, you know, a deeply unfortunate mishap that not only causes complications for his love life, but also kind of causes him to go insane even right. even him being the pro- the protagonist of the movie, so I thought I kind of combined those three things. It was it was it was neat to uh, you know to see those those kind of like late eighties uh, essences you know distilled down into right. uh, into this movie. Another similarity I noticed with RoboCop is the the beginning with the city. There's you know the real estate kingpin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the other RoboCop comparison too, because yeah, it, there's a you know real estate, you know land development thing at stake, and also he is a, uh, a capitalist dude uh, employing you know, hardened criminals on the side. You know, so yeah. it ties yeah. in again with that. One thing I was gonna say is the Sam Raimi had to write an original. Basically, he wanted to make uh, <laughs> Batman or The Shadow, like you were saying. So he had to write. Mm-hmm him and his brother, I guess, wrote like this original uh, character. And he's kind of a hodgepodge. He's kind of like Phantom of the Opera mixed with uh, the Invisible Man. And he gets mad. He's a scientist who gets mad and destroys shit like the Hulk. (laughs) He's just, he's kind of a confused, (laughs) 
<laughs> superhero. But one thing that I do really like about the character is that you don't see a lot of uh, super. Well, he's not really a superhero, but uh, but he is. I don't, you know what I mean? Um, well, 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 kind of. Yeah, I mean, he's not like you know a Superman superhero, but uh, he's a uh, he's he's an urban vigilante. Right. I do appreciate that he's just gnarly looking, and he's the hero because. A lot of times, especially these days, uh, well, I guess all, traditionally too, superheroes are very aesthetically pleasing. Like the mm-hmm. good guys are good looking, the evil guys are bad looking, and this kind of flips it. So I did, I do like that. Uh, one thing though is that the, the funny thing is that the movie's called Dark Man, but when he goes out and you know d- does all his missions throughout the movie, it's all during the day. Yeah. I thought that was strange. He only has 99 yeah. minutes. He, he They could have used so much time at night, but they only the only time he really uses the mask at night is in the final sequence. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think they, they went with Darkman just because like, oh, it's just like a, a cool sounding, you know, Batman-esque, you know, right. name. But, um, <laughs> I mean, like part, part of the conceit is that, you know, the, you know, his masks only stay composed in the dark. And so that's sort of like the in-universe conceit, I think. But then also at the end, uh, you know, he says, you know, I'm everyone, no one, I'm, I'm Darkman. So he's just like this massive you know blank like x of uh of a person or you know that's what he believes himself to be but yes uh it is it is worth noting that most of his uh escapades take place in broad daylight <laughs> uh but but you know that that adds some tension with like the oh god like how long will his uh his mask work if they did it at night and then daybreak was coming it'd kind of be like the vampire going back into the coffin but instead it's just the timer his little stopwatch during the day which is right, right, right. essentially kind of the same thing. Yeah, and I want to get into some of that, like some of the ways the movie, I think, falls short of like some of the coolest things, I some of his coolest traits. Um, should we kind of explain his origins? Yeah, uh, you want to go ahead with that? That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So this movie, like, like you were saying, it's a quote-unquote superhero movie, right? Like an R-rated, one of the first, I, I, I think... By the way, this movie totally has no reason to be R-rated. Like you could take out a yeah. couple cuss words and it would not be R-rated. I thought I, I thought it was PG-13. No, it's the first um, it's an, no. uh, one of the first R-rated or maybe it's an R it's an R-rated movie. I mean, it, it it's darker it's darker than your average, you know, kid-oriented uh superhero movie, but um there's no violence. It doesn't show even when he's cutting off the fingers, there's no violence in this movie. Yeah, all the violence <laughs> Is off screen, and I want to I want to get into that because I I think I think there may may be an explanation for that. Okay, but yeah, just like the the I think that's what this movie is maybe uh, known for is like this darker it's R, it's R rated superhero movie, and the main character played by Liam Neeson, Peyton Westlake. We don't really get to know him. And I want to get back and get into that later, too. But we're introduced to him. He's a scientist. He's working on this synthetic skin. You know, they mentioned things like for skin grafts, for burn victims, the mm-hmm. synthetic skin. And so right away, we see that it isn't lasting. There's this problem with the skin. It's only lasting, I think, 90 minutes. And it's this problem. 99. Specifically. Ni- 99, yeah. So he's in the lab. Point 0.8, actually. They, they just say 99, but there's a computer <laughs> voice in the background. Sorry. Sorry, guys. So they're in, the, they're in this lab. I love this lab. I love a lot of 
a lot of the aesthetic of this movie i have mentioned in previous episodes nostalgia with me and early 90s late 80s movies the whole beginning the montage where they're showing the lab and the different like devices and things and so that's where the movie begins in peyton's lab and uh what happens is i i think we'll explain it but just to kind of introduce his origins is what happens is of course you know superhero origin stereotype he's dunked in a vat of acid right which is very batman i mean it's basically what happened to the joker is just a flipped role thing but yeah 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 but yeah this like stereotype of exposure excessive exposure to something you know like radiation some chemical in mm-hmm. this case is acid he touches these two pillars like wrapped in copper wire burns yeah. his hands his hands get all mangled and then these cronies that are doing this all to him blow up the whole building and he flies into the air it's ridiculous <laughs> that's part so awesome it's hilarious <laughs> that's one of the coolest parts of the movie <laughs> there's some parts of this movie that are really funny and i, I yeah. think if this was a comedy it w- if he went that way he could have done su- something that was so awesome if he went more evil dead 2 i really wish he did and there's some flash of that but yeah um you're right there there are some flashes that would have been very interesting if uh if he had gone that route yeah and so that's the that's kind of what starts his transformation and what happens is he lands in the bay he like floats down river i guess so the next scene is (laughs) they're in the hospital and what they explain is that they don't know who who he is because he's so disfigured and it happens all the time apparently they just pick people up they don't know who they are. They're a John Doe. That's what this nurse is explaining. And even though he has teeth, but anyway, yeah. He's a, even though he has his teeth and he's like a scientist, so he probably definitely has <laughs> dental records. And so what they do is so because he's all burned, is they sever all his feeling to his body somehow. I don't know how. And they explain that because his body can't feel and he can't feel pain, that that energy goes to his mind. And and um, and his emotions, and then he goes off the chain. Yeah, it's like he doesn't have nerve endings, I guess, or whatever. So he doesn't feel pain. So he's got all this pent up like lack of um, uh, what do you call that? Um, sensory input. So mm-hmm. this channels into uh basically an overload, which makes him just become extremely strong and uh and 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 just ra- rage hella hard, right? That's basically what's happening. Yeah, I do, I don't know if the nurse like mentions like a yeah. That's why she she said that's why he had the restraints. Ah, uh, yeah, and then and and oh yeah. By the way, that nurse it was also played a nurse. I don't not I don't remember her name, but she's in a uh, 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 American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I I read something and they and they they pointed out that that was kind of like a reprisal of her like role almost like an easter egg but i don't know it's pretty loose but um yeah people like to think that i heard but the reality is that her and i think her husband one of the guy with glasses and the mask like one of the people standing in scrubs listening to the nurse Uh i think that's her husband and he's a famous director i can't remember his name and they were just hanging out oh yeah, sorry, I have I have a I have Wikipedia pulled up here. That is um John Landis, I believe. John Landis, yeah. Yeah. And he's the one who did American Werewolf in London, right? Yeah, yeah. So look yeah, at that. There you go. And then oh also uh Ivan Ramey, uh one of uh, you know as 
you know, Sam Raimi's other brother, uh, besides Ted, who has a bigger role in this movie, is uh, also the hospital staff. And and so apparently, jo- it, like John Landis and that nurse were just on set, and he's like, "You guys got to be in the movie." <laughs> apparently, I don't know. That's nice. that. Yeah, apparently that's how that happened. So it does. So it does have a tie-in in a way, but uh, but it's not. Like, yeah, it wasn't done I'm like sure. purposefully. Like it wasn't something thought out necessarily. Yeah. I guess it would be a reprisal. I could definitely see that Sam Raimi wanting to like play with that maybe or anyone, you know? Yeah. So, okay. So she mentioned super strength. I, I, I miss that. Um, so I think right after that, she's getting to that explanation, cut back to Liam Neeson's. He goes into his first, what we see his rage, right? Yeah. Which, which is actually really cool. I love, uh, Sam Raimi does some incredible work with green screen. I really like the artistic mm-hmm. direction with the green screen, different angles in the backgrounds and, and cut-ins and stuff, multiple layers. And he's, he, it makes it seem comic booky, kind of like the, how they do like boxes in, in pages in a way, but kind of, you know what I mean? In, in comic books, it gives it a feel. Mm. That's what I, I, I kind of got out of it. Um, there's there's one kind of shot or there's one kind of like match cut dissolve in particular when um oh the graveyard yeah 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 francis mcdormand's character is like you know uh it's just after her she witnessed um you know her husband being ostensibly ostensibly killed yeah, and then it dissolves into her in like that same pose in in the cemetery yeah. and uh yeah no i thought that that would have been like a really awesome uh you know uh you know, panel transition in, in a comic book, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I actually wrote that down as being one of my favorite shots in the movie. So yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. feel you on that. That that was cool. And yeah, just bringing her up the first time, Frances McDormand. It's like two great actors in this movie, Liam Neeson and McDormand. Like, uh... I don't know, like, if she had any major roles before this, but she's you know certainly an A list actor now um she plays liam neeson's love interest i guess again julie, we don't really julie yeah julie. yeah we don't get <laughs> we don't really learn a lot about them or their relationship but she so yeah she's his love interest speaking of his uh his funeral uh there's no one there except for her so apparently this guy was totally unloved and had no family but they didn't mention any of that yeah, I, I wish I wish we we got to spend more time knowing Liam Neeson's character. What the fuck can I think of his name? Um, uh, West Peyton. Westlake as uh, Darkman Westlake is his last name. Uh, right, yeah. Peyton Peyton Darkman Westlake. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but but I I wish we had gotten a bit more time, kind of getting into his head, you know, before uh, you know, before the big transformation. We, we do know that. Sorry. Oh, um, well, no, 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 this is what you're saying. It's very interesting to know that she was pretty much the only person at his funeral, apparently. Right. Which, and, and artistically, sometimes it's really cool to just leave the universe open like that. And then you're just getting the information in an offhanded kind of way like that. That can be interesting. But in this case, it makes it kind of shallow. Mm-hmm. Things like they didn't build any sort of chemistry between him, him and his assistant, but he like really, really, it like really hit some hard when his assistant gets shot. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Neeson really, really, really sold it. That's for sure. And I guess, you know, they say they sell how much she cares for him. So everything that happens like with the actors on screen is done well. 
I just think there's a lot of writing that was a little empty, probably to streamline the movie. Yeah, well, I, I think they went through a, bu- a bunch of drafts, so I'm, I'm yeah. curious what their uh, you know initial kind of conception for these uh, these people was. Yeah, I I think that the the drafts because I did hear that um, the studio, what was it like twelve or thirteen drafts of the script, and another thing I think. It's an ex. Well, I I have a few explanations, but um, like the violence and how I th- I think that was an issue with the studio, and I think that's a reason why we don't see a lot of violence. We but we see it happening off screen. So there's all these violent things happening, but we don't actually really get to see it. And I think the grot the most grotesque thing about this movie is Darkman and his yeah. disfigured uh face mm-hmm. and. Yeah, it, it it's a, it's a little weird because that is so grotesque, um, mm-hmm. and we don't see these other violent things. And I think that w- that was maybe the back and forth with the studio. So it's like it's in the movie, but it's not in the movie. Uh huh. Right. Right. Yeah. So Dark Man, all this shit happens. <laughs> he gets uh, fried. Uh, basically, um, can I can I say something else too? Because I feel like. I had a few points to say, going back to what we were saying about how we don't get to learn a lot about the characters, I think because it's an origin story, and I think that that it's kind of the downfall, a lot of these first superhero movies, but with like Batman, you know, you can make an origin film and the audience is familiar with Batman. With Darkman, Sam Raimi has to give us everything. So he has to move through it so quickly that... Yeah, like, and that is kind of funny. I never realized that. She's the only person at his funeral. His love interest, it's like, here's the love interest. Here's the superhero. Here's the villain. Here's action. (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, wait. But it's not actually the villain. Like, this whole, the the, the film is confused about who the antagonist is, which is a a big problem. (laughs) I think so. I think so, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't find it. I didn't find it that that difficult uh, just because, again, I thought of it as like the same relationship as, you know, um, uh, Boddicker and uh, Dick Jones in, in RoboCop. Um, yeah, but, I, mean, I, I guess I, you're I, right. I, I get what you're I get what you're what you're saying, because but certainly you know, weaker. Sort of like, you know, which one has more more power ultimately. And you yeah. know, ultimately, it's given to uh, the, the real estate developer whose name I can't recall at the moment. Lewis. But. Yeah, no, but here's the thing. Like, I I was watching this with uh, with my roommate. Uh, we, like, we were we were like kind of you know poking fun at certain things. And just when he's like introducing his like development plan, I basically said in like the same tones that he was saying stuff like, "Okay, okay, listen, lady, you gotta just understand, I'm developing this movie." <laughs> it seemed like he he kind of clarified that for himself, like right at the beginning. But then the focus switches over to uh, Durant, you know, uh-huh. the gangster. But and by the way, I, I I haven't seen it, but the sequel is called The Return of Durant, so <laughs> he, he comes back as the main villain in the second one, I guess. Well, that, that's cool that they um yeah they they had enough faith faith in him because he is a very you know kind of distinct looking you know uh, actor and villain. So I'm glad that they they uh, they had enough fondness for him to uh to bring him back. Yeah. By the way, that uh, that that whole um you know, like revolving door, you know, shoot him, no shoot him thing was, uh, was terribly amusing. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, one thing about Lewis is that his voice is just like so Humphrey Bogart that it's really hard for me to take it seriously. <laughs> it's like he talks like just like Humphrey Bogart. Do you know what I'm talking about? Durant? No, no, Lewis, the real estate developer, the main villain. Oh, yeah. He talks yeah, that... like Humphrey Bogart and it's like, this sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Yeah, that dude is kind of ridiculous. And I I was confused. I don't know about you guys, but in the so in the beginning, the whole setup for Peyton getting attacked by Durant, who's the main henchman for Lewis, the real estate mogul. So Julie, his love interest, is a, an attorney. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure for who. Does she work for Strack? I th- I think so, yeah. Yeah, remember she she wasn't supposed to find those. So she finds a memo. Yeah, that, with evidence of like bribery and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. And so uh, Lewis, he's like, yeah, you weren't supposed to see that. And then he tells her about Durant, his henchman. It was an, an implied threat saying like, yeah, if uh, yeah, like, oh, it'd be like, it'd be a shame if uh, he uh, he got to you or something. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't really get it because he goes, Durant is a competitor for the waterfront and so it sounded to me like durant was working for some other organization yeah it's trying to be clever but it's (laughs) i don't know he's like it would be a shame and yeah he's like (laughs) now i'll always have paris and and then and then yes somehow they find i like, how do they know that the memo they're looking for that shows these payoffs is going to be at Peyton's lab? I don't understand that connection either. Yeah. Mm. There's lots of things in this movie or why he keeps it. He's like, you weren't supposed to see this, but I'm going to leave it on my desk when, we, when they go get it. Do you know, Tom, did you observe like any connection or like? I mean, not that I can think of like at, at, at this moment, honestly, yes, I'm a little confused by it, I suppose. I mean, here's the thing, like what, after they burned down the lab, do they even like get what they were after? Like did they even find it. Yeah. Cause, uh, he shows Julie the memo later in the film and it's got the coffee stain. There's this fucking coffee stain. She sees, <laughs> she sees it on his desk. Oh, right. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Sorry. I, I, sorry. My memory glossed over that part. Sorry, again, this is my first time watching this movie yesterday, so. Yeah, I feel you. I would suggest anyone like our our age, if they haven't seen it, to watch it. Because the first time, like it all being new to me and a new character, I it was kind of hard to watch. But I watched it again last night for a second time, and I really enjoyed it. Because I knew, you know, I was familiar with it, and I knew... um like the dude, one of the henchmen, he doesn't have a leg and they show him like hopping around all the time. <laughs> I did enjoy it more the second. I enjoyed second. that part. The first time I was like, oh my God, like rolling my eyes like this is so corny. But then the second time I was like, it's a dude. It's a one legged dude. I love this dude. But I do. I, I do wish he went more in the comedy route for this movie because it does have some slapstick type things going on. Like uh, later on in the film when he's like hanging. Oh, my God. The fa- my favorite part in the entire movie is when he crashes in the building. And he says, excuse me. And then he jumps back out. Oh, my God. That part's hilarious. Some classic Raimi slapstick. Yeah. Yeah. Me. And then when he's like running on the truck, when he's like <laughs> hanging from the helicopter. 
There's some really funny stuff. Yeah, that whole ending is so crazy. Like, it, it, it's kind of going back to how Sam Raimi has explained so much the whole origins of this character. And it's like, okay, final scene. Explosions. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, this is it. Like, this is the climax. This is where all the action is happening. Dark Man is hanging from a fucking helicopter. It got Durant shooting at him with like a grenade launcher and with a yeah. scope, by the way. I'm not sure if that's a good no. way to shoot a grenade launcher, but <laughs> or maybe if it has like a, 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 I don't know, they have different types, but it just looks like a like a rifle scope. And going going back to uh, the second film, um, Return of Durant, it, which is hilarious to me because Durant dies by his helicopter <laughs> yeah. fucking running into the top of the tunnel just a solid concrete and the cabin just gets crushed and the whole helicopter yep. blows up and i saw some clips from the second film he just like sits up in a hospital bed <laughs> he's just got like they should have made him a burn victim too, and then he gets into the other guy's lab. Yeah, no, I was gonna say if, yeah, if he became like some sort of like new dark man or something. Damn, <laughs> that would have been sick. Yeah, one thing I was gonna say about this movie is, um, I I did find it clever writing to um make it so you can just use an actor twice, uh, by having the means of the mask. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was interesting. Yeah, seeing um, yeah, a couple actors who were hired to ostensibly play just like bit characters have you know bigger roles as liam neeson essentially you know like they have to act as if they are being you know possessed or you know something sam raimi is clever in these ways he did a good job of kind of doing this pasty coating over the skin and it actually seemed like Mm -hmm. they were wearing like a mask kind of yeah 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 definitely yeah some subtle subtle touches by the way, I, I thought it was I thought it was so funny. Like after um, after Durant throws the one guy out the window, and then the woman on the street turns and sees you know uh, you know Dark Man as that guy just sitting on the bench, and she starts screaming. And then he's like, uh, and then like he's feeling like kind of cool, like hey, you know. Yeah. He's and like, then he uh, looks uh, and oh, the ma- the mask starts dissolving. Like oh shit, like I, I gotta go. Uh oh, ninety nine. <laughs> so let's explain some of that because this is kind of yeah, okay, yeah. one of his. I, I guess he it, it isn't like a superpower, but it's like one of those Batman type traits from this individual. They have this knowledge and this ability, and for Darkman, he's a scientist, so he's got this technology, this synthetic skin, and so what he does with it is he creates the henchman. He'll, he'll create an entire mask that goes completely over his entire head. And so he will look like the henchman. He, they even show him. I thought this was a great detail. They, they show the device. It will like show whatever he's creating, whatever synthetic skin form. And, and it's yeah, like the computer simulation thing. Yeah. yeah. And so they'll show it kind of like swiveling. So they'll like show the head that he's creating in um, computer graphics, like turning, spinning, and they show a hand. So he even makes the henchman's hands. So I think that's a great attention to detail because if you're going to impersonate someone by wearing their skin, you can't just do their head, right? You have right. to do their hands too. Yeah, and I thought some sort of fingerprint thing would like come into play later, but I, I don't think it did. Yeah, and that goes back to a lot of these awesome 
things that I think are really cool, like his, you know, quote unquote, superhero traits and abilities, they don't really get exploited because there's just there's so much story getting packed into this film. I think that's why. Mm. But but at the same time, I think there are some really cool things that he does. So the scene we were just talking about, he impersonates this henchman who has a really dope tattoo. Um, he's got this tattoo in through the skin and out through the skin knife yeah of like a knife but the knife like disappears like it actually goes into his forehead and then the tip pokes out and there's even a little blood droplet (laughs) so silly dude what if we like see i bet we're gonna see a rapper get that like within the the next year or two I don't know. I don't know if this movie's relevant, but maybe. No, after the well, after this podcast, after this podcast, word is going to get out. Yeah, we're we're pushing the ball in motion here. It's going to happen. Dark, dark man cometh. <laughs> I I really think people should watch it. Um, fans of Key and Peele, I don't know if you guys re- remembered this. You remember the Key and Peele skit where they're talking about Liam Neeson and they keep talking about Liam Neeson's. No, but are they referencing this <laughs> yeah. movie? Dude, I went and rewatched the skit. So, Key and Peele, anyone who doesn't know, they do like sketch comedy. They're a, a comedy duo and they're playing these bellmen outside a hotel and they're just these really stoked bellmen and they get so stoked on Liam Neeson and they're just talking about how cool he is. Halfway so the halfway through the skit, they start tar- talking about Darkman. Oh, nice. And the whole last <laughs> half of the skit, they're talking about Darkman and they're like <laughs> But he he didn't have a statue. He should have won a fucking I don't know what the awards are. A fucking Oscar for for the Academy Awards. Are we talking about the character or Liam Neeson? Liam. Well, we're talking about Liam Neeson and okay. So 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 there there's a thing that he he should have won an Oscar for for Darkman. Yeah, because they're like, <laughs> but but his acting. He changed his face though. <laughs> dude, he was so good. As, he was so good as that bald dude. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's saying, so funny. All right. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna rewatch that. After yeah, this, so. that's yeah. So they they reference that. I can't really think of any references, but I think this is. A cool I mean, I, I think it still has a, a cult kind of following, as um you know a lot of uh, you know Remy's stuff does. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like certainly it was popular amongst uh, a lot of my friends, um, you know, before I had seen it <laughs> up to now, <laughs> but yeah. Mm-hmm. So dark man, oh, dang it. I didn't know where I was going with this. Sorry. <laughs> well, we just kind of explained one of his superpowers, which is creating these masks. Oh, and I was saying he does do some cool things like the scene you guys were talking about. He, he, I think this is really cool. He, so he becomes a henchman. He puts chloroform over the head. He he also, yeah, yeah, we don't really know a lot about Peyton Westlake. We know he's a scientist, but he's able to just sneak into this henchman's house and chloroform him while he's conveniently sleeping on his back. Yeah, that did work out pretty well. Yeah, Um, that works out really well. But, you know, he's shown observing, uh, you know, the the dealings of of this henchman, you know, specifically, you know, the kind of regular uh, drug deal that happens with him. But, you know, that's shown for the purpose of, you know, informing the audience of what's going to happen in in the plot. But I guess one can also infer that he spent a lot of time observing this dude in general and seeing his habits and seeing how he does stuff so he can uh, go in and... uh, 
takes place. True. Yeah. And when he's observing, you see that he's taking pictures, and I think he uses that to model the synthetic mm-hmm. skin. Right. Yep. So I think this is a really awesome thing, too, is his lair. So he finds this condemned Poor man's factory. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Much like the Batman cave, he finds this decrepit, condemned factory and he rolls up with a shopping cart full of burned computer parts that's so fucking amazing yeah um, you know um I, I was also reading that uh they were particularly inspired by uh you know just sort of like frankenstein's uh laboratory for this mm-hmm. which again kind of harkens back to that universal monster movie kind of feel mm-hmm. yeah i when i watched it the first time i was getting i was definitely getting a hunchback of notre dame vibe yeah phantom of the uh, invisible man <laughs> also uh, again i just wanted to bring up like the like the cool thing about this movie is that it is a superhero uh who is um you know, informed by all these kind of kind of self-hating you know universal monster people I, I, I thought that was just like a bold move for uh for that internal struggles right Indeed. and i i heard that so sam raimi was shopping this around to different studios and he ended up at universal because he they they have that lineage of the monsters frankenstein the mummy that's all there um Mm -hmm. yeah the wheelhouse yeah that that's their intellectual property and their legacy and so he was able to sell the movie pretty easily with that um Mm -hmm. i guess genre in mind and i think I think he blends it in really well. And it's funny. There's even this scene where he's just like crouching up on the rooftop at one point and he's got two gargoyles on mm-hmm. to the sides of him. And I was, <laughs> that's just so Batman. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Batman and Hunchback of Notre Dame. I felt. Oh like. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that's yeah, true. Yeah. It, it harkens back to even further back than, you know, totally. But, but that kind mm-hmm. of Gothic imagery. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, it, it's hard I, when the movie came out if you had just seen batman it must have been i don't know you know the the similarities are, are there <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I feel like you, you you like someone would have either been like oh it's so similar or uh, and you know that term the offer someone would have been like oh man like yeah this like i love i love the, that feeling of batman that this had i got i gotta be honest and like, here's the thing. When I say this, I'm not trying to take away from like anyone's enjoyment of the movie. I saw this movie for the first time yesterday. I didn't think it was a great movie per se. I did think it had a lot of interesting things about it that I'm having a lot of fun talking about on the uh, on the podcast here. But I did think that you know, if I existed as a teenager in 1990, I definitely would have been like really about this movie. <laughs> That's for sure. It's 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 got that 90s. I don't. There, it's impossible to replicate it now it's a capsule it's it, it has that yeah it's definitely representative of, of a certain particular kind of few years of like late 80s early 90s right a transitional period like i was saying earlier uh just really bringing in the the, the green screen to an, a whole nother level yeah yeah that's true which was cool there's another thing about this movie is um I don't mean to, to just change subjects, but I feel like Sam Raimi used the green screen in a way that he knows it looks cheesy, but he he's doing it artistically instead of trying to make it look realistic. He purpose I, I looked at the screen up close. He purposefully puts thick black borders around buildings and characters to make them stand out more 
it's not trying to be realistic. Yeah, cool. yeah. Well, I mean, what what you're saying, like, I think that's just like a microcosm of you know the whole kind of like you know Raimi uh, method, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like you know all all you know, if you go back to like Evil Dead, like all like the makeup and effects in that are super cheesy, but they are very you know visceral and memorable. Right. And I think, like I was saying, when he goes into the building at that one point, it's probably my favorite like little split instance. <laughs> but at the carnival, when he goes ape shit, is like my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> yeah no see here's here, here's the thing that one really straddled the line when he was like uh when he when he was arguing about like the pink elephant yeah because, like it's supposed to be kind of you know comedic but it's just like you know they're, like they're trying to have some drama it should have been in an evil dead movie <laughs> when, when, when he twisted the finger the the guy's fingers backwards i was like whoa okay like, all right yeah. <laughs> and Dude. his voice gets all crazy and then the background yeah, like yeah. animates and explodes and it's like fire and brimstone and it, and then like yeah. it goes it like it like pans over to julie and she's all like ah! It's, yeah, it's no, well, it's like a live action cartoon kind of, you know. I I really enjoyed those like ten seconds or whatever. It was, <laughs> yeah, at that end right there. Even the way they like kind of close up, I don't know, like <laughs> wide angle lenses on like the or I don't know if the sharp is wide angle lenses, but um, on like the the carny, you know, all up in his grill and he's all <laughs> right, like right, yeah. weirdo. <laughs> I keep I keep exactly. laughing thinking of that part. It's so funny to me because like I feel like it came out of nowhere. So. Yeah, he goes into one of these fits of rage, and then he he because so, he wins his carnival game, and the carny won't give him the pink elephant. Finally, gives him the pink <laughs> elephant, and he goes. I forget what he says, but he's like, "Just fucking take it, Julie." <laughs> like, yes, but no, his voice pink. is all, "Just fucking take it, Julie." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. One 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 thing I I, I want to comment on uh, b- b- before we end is um his his voice and his own kind of like little bits of private insanity really feel like kind of a, a prototype for what uh, Sam Raimi would do with uh, the Green, Green Goblin. Goblin. Later. Yes, yes, uh, definitely. His voice mm. even sounds similar to uh, uh, Willem's. A bit, yeah, that, that, that kind of this kind of thing, like yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sam Raimi had a, a very kind of specific, you know, direction for uh, for both Liam Neeson and for for Willem Dafoe. Yeah. So I don't think I ever really got into how cool I think some of the ways he exploits his synthetic skin are, even though it's not exploited as much as I think it could have been. So he chloroforms the henchman. Like Tom was saying, he's observed this guy's activity, so he knows he's going to go to this drop spot to pick up this money. And he sets the henchman up because he buys two plane tickets. Right. Leaves them in his bedroom. With with with, with, uh, with uh, Ivan Ramey or whatever that dude's name. Is that his name? Or, uh, Ted, Ted Ramey. Ted Ramey. I'm sorry. Does he have another brother that wrote the script? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So there's the three guys working on this movie. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So two plane tickets with the because he killed uh, this other henchman, and he's missing. the there The bad guys are wondering where he is, and so he's got this other plane ticket as if to show that. Yeah, he he was gonna t- yeah take the money and and you know run off to the other side of the world. Right, right. So when Liam Neeson uses his synth- synthetic skin to impersonate the henchman, go to the drop spot, take the money, and steal it, they go to the henchman's apartment what i noticed the second time i watched the movie is that the henchman he's fully dressed in a suit 
So Liam Neeson had to change this guy's clothes because he's. <laughs> yeah, got... that, that, that's a very funny implied scene that wasn't shown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So apparently Liam because ne- he's fully clothed. So when Durant, right, the right, main right, bad guy shows up, they see the henchman. You know, just wakes up, and he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't." I didn't go to the drop spot, right? And uh, yeah, they he, kill him. yeah, no, but he literally says, "I don't even know like how I'm how I'm fully clothed right now." I don't even know how I got dressed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so um, Durant throws him out the window, right? And then from there, he goes on to imitating Durant himself uh, immediately after, right? That's the next person he uh, he caught. I think that was the next the next step, yeah. So they just streamline that. They're just like, okay, right to that. The second time doesn't go as well as planned as the first. One thing about Durant, his like obsession with the fingers, I find it odd and it doesn't really pay off. I don't know. It's kind of random and I don't know, but whatever. So you're, you're, you're talking about the, the main bad guy, Durant. And his whole thing with the fingers. Yeah. So he cuts, he, yeah. The people he murders, he collects their fingers. He cuts their yeah. fingers off and collects yeah, via them. the cigar cutter. But he only does it to the guy in the first, in the very beginning of the movie, and then he he, he kind of threatens it later. I don't think there's like it's not like an ongoing thing, really. Besides opening the box and mentioning it, so it's kind of well. I mean, like there's always like that threatening kind of trait. Like whenever he's right, it looks like he's pissed off, and then he he brings out the cigar cutter. Right. So it's like, is he going to use it a, a, again? But uh, he never really does. Yeah, I read a little about a bit about the creation. It's just like they wanted him to have some distinct threatening trait, and that you know uh, the figure thing also possibly implied like a like a they're saying it implied like a military background. Like he 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 was just known for doing this. He collects trophies. Yeah, I like how in the beginning they make you do a little bit of math. Because he starts cutting. I got seven more. Right. So <laughs> Durant has got the one of these, you know, competitor kingpin bad guys. He's he's cutting off his fingers with a scar cutter. Yeah, it does, it, it's implied that he's going to cut his dick off, right? Um, I thought he was just talking about his remaining fingers, but that's. Uh... I thought he cut off four fingers, and then he's like, "I got seven more," implying that he's going to cut his dick off. That's what I thought. I thought I cut off three, and that that was that. But hey, you know, I I, I kind of like your interpretation more. Yeah. <laughs> what, if it yeah, it makes more sense as to why he reacts so weird. Because I was like, he's already cutting off his fingers. Why is he all of a sudden now like? Oh, it's kind of like yeah, maybe maybe I fucked up the math. Take all my fingers, but not my dick. <laughs> <laughs> you you said that he made you do math. I love how they made you do math. <laughs> yeah, he made me do math, and I did math wrong. And you failed. Some cruel calculation. <laughs> I guess he could cut off toes too. It doesn't, you know. It's like, it, he's like this little pig. This next. little piggy went to the market. This little. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be rad if he did this little piggy. Oh, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> so he he moves on to Durant, and he tries to foil him again with the money thing. He's getting back at these guys. He's trying. I, I feel like he's trying to kind of like I don't know. He's getting all this money. Is he is he going to use it for something? I, I guess it doesn't matter. He's just foiling them. But uh, maybe he could get better, some better equipment. I don't know. Ca- causing chaos and, yeah, probably some better equipment. But, you know, I, I just want to say one, one of the scenes I really liked was when Darkman, as Durant, is talking to the uh, to the owner of the, of the Hong Kong restaurant. And to threaten him, number one, he, he brings out the cigar cutter. 
and also just starts burning his own hand as just some sort of like demonstration <laughs> of like, oh, I don't give a fuck, you know, and then that's what causes the owner to turn over the money. But he's using his own kind of like superpower to uh, right. to exploit that, you know? Okay, you win, Bob. Yeah, yeah. And and I was I was thinking so that so this goes back to the point I was making of certain yeah trait like trait superpowers that don't get exploited that much or as much as I would like is so that's a superpower if he can't feel anything and I think right. that, that there's there's that moment and then later on when he's trying to get into the helicopter Durant is just kicking him in the face and it just isn't phasing mm-hmm. him. Yeah. yeah, I won't, I I don't think there are really many other times where he's directly exploiting his power of not feeling pain. Right. right. Even, even at in the end sequence, uh, when they're in the high steel and he's getting whacked in the head by the the things, it's almost like he's reacting to it like it hurts a little bit. But I think it's just kind of throwing him off balance. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he's just kind of dizzy and and scared at the very least. But then you know he has you know the like the the bolt gunned into his hand shot into his hand true right right and it doesn't feel it and then he just gets really mad and punches him right off hmm. bye bye bogart i i thought that was pretty funny when he was just getting kicked in the head repeatedly and yeah. then i thought it was kind of strange that so he's i'm pretty sure he's liam neeson with a liam neeson synthetic face mask on right and then i think durant kicks that off and then yeah. he has bandages on mm-hmm. underneath that. And I thought that mm-hmm. was kind of weird. Sam Raimi kind of goes all out in in the in the thug battle bef- prior to this with the multiple uh-huh. masks on one person. And then he's got like mm-hmm. five masks on hand. He's got like th- two or three of them on one person. He's got a mask of himself. He's also got the mask of the the long haired dude that's got that that really really annoying s- sneer on his face mm-hmm. all the time. Right, right. Uh, so I like how they kind of saved that till that point, and I liked how he uh, used the the little chicken or a uh, bird thing to trick them. The thing that made him explode in the first place. Oh, oh yeah, the yeah the the dunking bird. I think that was good writing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A little turning of the tables. Uh-huh. The action sequences are actually really tight and really and really fun. Mm-hmm. So once they start going, and they move, they move really fast too. It's almost surprisingly good. I don't know. That's one of the things about this movie is it's not my favorite superhero movie by a long shot, but there's parts in it that actually have a lot of going on. It can be overlooked. I think it can, it can be like I I would say I overlook some of those things like that ending scene. I enjoyed it a lot more the second time around, but. I think, yeah, it just goes back to that point of having to do so much that it's a little bit too much. <laughs> like at the end, there's this cars exploding everywhere. He's hanging. So he's hanging from this helicopter traveling like 60 miles an hour, whatever, fucking probably way faster than that. And he just goes flying into a building. Oh, God, I love that part. And uh, <laughs> somehow Ben just like <laughs> pops back out of the building. I love it. See, that's like if I made a movie, that part in the carnival part, like I really, I don't know. I do connect with those parts. I, I feel like that's something I would put into a fucking movie and everybody would be like, what the fuck was that? Oh, yeah, the, the, the carnival part seems right up your alley. I, I thoroughly agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty fun. And and it's interesting. It's it's one of Darkman's only interactions with the public. 
I feel like, because yeah, it's, it's hard to call him a superhero because he doesn't give a fuck about anything but revenge. So it's not like there's these moments where you'd see in a superhero origin movie where the superhero is learning their abilities and powers and using them for good and starting in baby steps. Okay. I'm going to put on this costume. I'm going to go fight crime. I'm going to stop this person here. Okay. I stopped a robbery and then they're fighting supervillains. There's none of that. He doesn't grow either. He's 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 an anti-hero at best. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's like yeah, he doesn't he doesn't really grow. He comes to understand certain things about himself and he he actually his growth his I'm gro- a scientist. his his growth to me at the end is when he accepts for himself that he can't be with uh, with Julie, his love interest, and and to me, like honestly, that's I, I wouldn't even necessarily like agree with him about that. I think I, I think you know if he has the capability to kind of regain sanity, then you know he can be with his love interest. But his growth is that he accepts for himself that he has to be this other kind of being, and that's his change. But really, I, I sorry, I just want to say like basically, he's an anti-hero at best. At best, you're right. Yeah. At worst. Kind of a raving lunatic, you know. But Yeah. It ends on a, uh, first of all, he does something that's not superhero-like. The guy's like, you would never do this. And he's like, yeah. I've learned to live with a lot of things. He drops them. And then, yeah. I guess like you're saying, like the way he grows is basically being like, the way I've grown is that I know that you're too shallow to ever be with a man like me. That's basically what he says. He's like, I, I, I'm the only one that can handle being with me. That's how I've grown. And it's kind of like, so yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a dark, he has a dark way of looking at things. It's not like the sky is opened up. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no. It's like, well, yeah, no, he's kind of a, he's a tragic figure. Yeah. He still yeah. survives. Which is, you know, yeah. is um, I suppose operatic or something like that. Mm. Also, I, we haven't even mentioned it yet. The appearance of Bruce Campbell for the very, very fa- last uh, that 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 part's cool. That part's cool. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice fun. Which touch. is definitely like a I'm Sam Raimi uh, moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, <laughs> totally. yeah. For anyone who's you know a fan of Sam Raimi or Evil Dead, they know who. Um, what's his name again? What's the actor's Bruce name? Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. It's in. It's it's in the same breath, basically. Sam Raimi wanted him to be Darkman. He wanted Bruce Campbell to be Darkman. Oh, that would have been. I think that. Oh my god. <laughs> I think it would have meshed a lot better. I I like Liam Neeson's performance, but like like Bruce Campbell has that kind of edginess to him that it works. Like the horror comedy, I think would have worked better with Bruce Campbell. I I definitely agree with you about that. I think it's it's very interesting seeing seeing Liam Neeson uh, do this. By the way, you know, I, I kind of noticed his uh, his Irish rogue, uh, you know, piercing through his dialogue, mm. you know, uh, more than a few times. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but yeah, as interesting as Liam Neeson's performances, I do think that um, yeah, having Bruce Campbell and his uh, kind of willingness to you know his his gameness for the horror comedy uh, nature of it, I think that would have been that would have meshed a lot better. Yeah, Bruce Bruce Campbell, I think, has just this insanity about him that is, I think, more likable maybe than Liam Neeson. I mean, in in the context of the of the movie, yeah, like Liam Neeson is pretty horrifying and disgusting. <laughs> like, where, <laughs> yeah, to the point where, what am I, some sort of a freak? Those teeth, like the teeth. Oh man, he's he's pretty fucked yeah. up. 
Definitely. I, I love that he's such an ugly uh, hero. I don't know. It's like if yeah. Freddy Krueger was a good guy, kind of. Like, like I said, it's bold that they were even able, that Sam Raimi was even able to to get that made because given how profitable the superhero films are today, I don't think that that would have been allowed, really. I mean, I think the closest thing we had to that was Venom, but even then, that you know, it wasn't the quite quite the same level of you know body horror, basically. Yeah, yeah. I heard a comparison to Harvey Dent in oh, definitely, yeah, in Dark Knight, Dark Knight, but you know, far less screen time. We really get up close and personal with the disfigured face of dark man he's on screen a lot i really like that the scene where he laughs and you see his little teeth like chattering yeah. up and down yeah his little, his, little, his little fucking rubber teeth like the teeth actually do that if we weren't to have lips is that what it would look like and In i don't sam think... raimi's world they do that's for sure. yeah oh but uh so sam raimi wanted bruce campbell to be in the role but i guess the studio didn't think he could do it but I disagree. I think, I mean, I, I, I do enjoy Dark Man. I do enjoy Liam Neeson, his performance. So Sam Raimi just plops Bruce Campbell in at the end as if this is Dark Man's last form that we see on screen. He's wearing a Bruce Campbell mask. Yeah, well, it's it's with his whole monologue where he's, where he's like, you know, I'm I'm like everybody and nobody, you know. It's just small, like, oh, hey, like, I'm just going to be, you know, pretending to be other people for the rest of my existence you know mm-hmm. casually for the for the rest and, of my next two uh direct-to-video <laughs> sequels <laughs> right. yeah. um but you know i mean sam raimi wanted to make a comic book movie i like that he made a movie that's a comic book movie that's not based on a comic book character indeed yeah it's cool that he was able to uh to accomplish that yeah, and even though Darkman is, uh, you know, based off of uh, a number of distinct influences, it's cool that he was able to have his own original character on screen. I mean, honestly, there's got to be something that's really fulfilling about that. And the movie was very well received when it came out uh, by critics, and it did well in in the in the box office. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, no, yeah, box office success and good reviews. I'm like, hey, cool. I think over time, people don't care for it as much, uh, especially uh, with the surge of so many superhero movies, uh, you know, to compare them to with way better special effects and this and that. And, and you know, when you're selling superhero stuff, uh, branding is huge. So if, if people mm-hmm. don't already know who they are, they just care less. They're less excited about it. They're like, who the fuck is Darkman? <laughs> yeah so you know i mean th- this this movie is very much time capsule in that it probably wouldn't have been made like stylistically today but also probably couldn't have been made simply based off of like market demands you know right. it's too much of a risk uh to be made today uh, yeah for sure i'm looking uh, at the box office numbers on Darkman, and i sort can't believe it so this website is saying that dark man made 33 million domestic okay which you know that's not a huge hit but the budget was 16 million so yeah like that's a success for sure batman released the year before it's showing made 251 million batman was one of the biggest movies of the 80s yeah yeah it was an extremely popular movie like it did very very well so that's not surprising to me (laughs) that's a huge success nowadays 
Yeah, it was a mega, mega, mega hit. Everyone was crazy about that movie. I was crazy about that movie. I had a friend who knew literally knew every single word to the movie. Who plays Batman in this one? In the 1989? Oh, Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Fucking awesome, too. Yeah, yeah, he does. Kills it. Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite Batman movie. That's uh, pretty great. It's great. And it's one of my favorite uh, Tim Burton movies, too. It's definitely in his prime. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, not to talk too much about it, but it's crazy that Michael Keaton went from Beetlejuice to that. It just shows how much uh, versatility he has as an actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's so funny because, uh, again, not to spend too much time on it, but it's funny thinking about it, like there's always been like controversy, it seems, with casting Batman. Like the studio got tons of letters from people who detested the, the decision to cast Michael Keaton saying like, oh, Mr. Mom is going to be Batman, you know, like. <laughs> Which makes sense at the time. I mean, yeah, but I mean, people have like the same reaction to like Ben Affleck and like Robert Pattinson. So it's just like, you know, it just never ends. Yeah. Everybody's just like, all right, you got to take yeah. casting Batman seriously here. Um, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, but yeah, it's important to talk about Batman just because it obviously set a huge stylistic precedent. And this film was kind of riding the wave uh, of that. Definitely. And like I was saying, Danny Elfman. Yeah, same, same, uh, yeah, same composer. I think he did an an excellent job on this score, Mm -hmm. but at at the same time, the theme didn't stick with me. But uh, Batman's theme is one of the greatest themes of any movie ever, so it's hard to put it against that. But um, I mean, that that I think to this day, there's been a lot of Batman movies, but that is still considered the Batman song. Besides, Dan and 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 Batman, I I think the Mm -hmm. '89 one is the Batman song. As the appropriate levels of uh, grandiosity, and, yeah, um, and and intrigue, you know, yeah, yeah, great. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that one. I I don't know if I've ever seen it in its entirety. You guys want to do oh, Batman? Dude. We can fucking do Batman. That would be great. I would I wouldn't mind. <laughs> Is there anything else you guys want to talk about in this movie? You want to talk about your favorite parts or anything like that before we wrap this up? I think you both know what my favorite parts in the movie are. <laughs> Definitely uh, the, when he goes into the building and says, excuse me. And then, uh, yeah, the, the carnival scene, <laughs> I think, are both really, really cool. Something I noticed the second time around, I like the use of the cat because. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Doc and <laughs> I, um, I've shared this in a previous episode, but we have made like a few short films just messing around, um, making little comedy skits. And. Uh, I think the first few we made, your cat, we ended up using her. Not really. She just kind of like ended up in some of the shots. So I have this affinity for whenever I see cats now. I think it's awesome. But there's this. So when he finds the condemned building and he pulls up with his shopping cart with burnt computer parts, there's this cat and he like sticks out his hand towards the cat and the cat hisses at him, Mm -hmm. like indicating that he's like this hideous you know creature <laughs> yeah. n- not even this cat w- w- wants to give him attention yeah yeah a cat that's like on the streets like yeah but then this cat i somehow just didn't notice this cat the first time i saw it but he he's he, he like does a tin man dance for it he puts that thing on his head he's like he's like i'm a freak <laughs> yeah he does this dance for it later on he it's like eating out of a something like on his desk while he's doing lab work so that was a cool t- detail I noticed the second time around. Okay. Uh, definitely love the cat. Um, 
I'm Catman Pete, dude. Yeah, Catman Pete. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, I guess it was cool. I don't know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I thought I forgot who I was talking to for a second. Uh, what, what, uh, what about you, Tom? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think just uh, some of the stuff I already discussed, like just one of the most memorable parts was when he as Durant burned his hands as like a demonstration of like power and craziness. Like I just thought that was, that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the whole movie was, was just a, a real trip to absorb because again, like I said before, I don't think it could be made like this now. You know, honestly, one of the things I was thinking about, it's like I could totally imagine like some sort of Nolan esque like Dark Knight reboot of Darkman where they really play up like the tragedy and like introspection and, and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, you know what? I, I, I would actually be interested in that. And I think I would go see it. I, I, that's one of those things. And I don't say that very I would. You wouldn't. No, 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 no. I said I would. No, I'm agreeing with you. Maybe if it was like I knew it, like <laughs> was like some weird situation where I just knew it somehow it was going to be really terrible. But I think that if if I if I was hearing it was by its cool director and it was going to be just and all the stuff, I, I definitely would go see it and give it a chance. If you guys know me, I don't. I'm not really a big superhero movies guy, so that that says a lot, I guess, because it's not like somebody's like, oh, I know a new Iron Man coming is coming out, and I'm like, uh, I could care less but um <laughs> it's like no but the, but there would be distinct things about this character in this world that would uh that would that would compel you to see it yeah exactly and you know sam raimi is still relevant if i'm not mistaken or yeah well you know funny enough he's been hired after the other director left uh he's been hired to do the new uh doctor strange movie oh okay mm. The first one was okay. I I thought it was entertaining. Uh, it was uh, kind of weird, but I mean that's kind of the point, uh, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he did um, Oz, the latest Oz with yeah, Oz, the Great and Powerful, the Great and Powerful with uh, James DeFranco. I didn't see it. It was a 3D movie. I don't think I've seen it either, but I think it's like no, I I, I saw it and not not very good i mean i don't know it's just like you know big budget studio movie there's some interesting things about it and i think it kind of paid homage to the sort of art of filmmaking like sort of um because like like oz is essentially uh like 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 a showman who who uses illusions to entertain people and he kind of saves the day using those skills so um you know it kind of has like a like an artistic thing in that but I mean, overall, it's just kind of like oh, big budget studio, whatever kind of movie. And this this is based on the universe of Wizard of Oz. Yeah, exactly. Oh wow! But no, okay. it's uh, essentially a prequel. Huh? Yeah, those are big shoes to fill. I I would say it, it's hard for me to get into things that are trying to fuck with Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. But Darkman, on the other hand, it, I don't think it was an A plus movie. So I, I feel like somebody could actually go back and do it and 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 make it even better with the source material. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's funny because uh, a similar thing happened with Evil Dead, where um, there was a uh, a remake and it was a lot more, you know, like you know, wrenching and serious, but still pretty good in my opinion. And um, and, and Sam Raimi was uh, gave his stamp of approval for that. So I feel like a similar thing could happen with uh, with Darkman. Redeem yourself for what you did with Oz. I didn't see it. I can't say that. But yeah. All right. I think that's I think that's a good uh, a good podcast. What do you guys think? Yeah, that was nice. How about you, uh, Peter? Yes, I enjoyed myself. 
Is there anything else you want to add, or are we? Uh, you enjoyed yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I enjoyed myself. I, I I would say, just closing remarks are really enjoyed this. It just the nostalgia of late eighties or early nineties movies. I just automatically enjoyed it. Highly recommend to anyone who feels the same way. Watch it a second time. If anything was off putting the first time, give it a second watch. Although I don't know if I would have done that if I if I wasn't doing a podcast on it, but excuse me. Thank you so much, kind rewinders. This is Doc Watson, signing off.